In one way or another, every one of us here this morning cares about how we appear. For some of us, that means that we pay attention to the latest styles and trends. We wear name brand clothing or purses or accessories, and we know what the celebrities are wearing and what the spring trends are. Others of us maybe focus more on on the physical makeup of our body's physique and what you eat and you work out because that matters to you, how you appear to others. But even if it's not in in any of those ways, we have a, a sense, a concern about how we come across to others, how we appear to them. And so we we are accustomed to labeling people as a a certain type of people based on how they appear. You can scroll through social media and look at somebody's account, and based on the pictures and the things that they share, you can get a sense of what's important to them or how they want to come across to others. So the guy that has pictures of cars is the car guy. That's how he wants to appear. And, And the gal who has dogs in every picture is clearly a dog lover. And then there's the sports nut, and the list goes on and on. People care about how they appear to others. And as you also are well aware from something like social media, there can be a disconnect, can't there, between how we appear and who we actually are. There are plenty of accounts in social media that that take the time to make it clear to anybody interested how so much of what you see is staged and fabricated, and it's one shot after another, so you get just the perfect shot to to portray that image. So that may or may not, in that case, probably does not reflect who the person actually is. We do this as Christians, too, don't we? Sometimes we are far more concerned about how we appear as Christians than we are with who we actually are as Christians. So, who people see you to be this morning on a Sunday when you gather around other Christians or when you're in some other function in the congregation, your small group, or around other Christians may be entirely different from the people who know you at work or even in your own home. Almost a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde persona change from one to the next. We want to appear this way, never mind the fact that we don't actually match up. That doesn't reflect who we are. And there's, of course, one individual that that matters more than ever, that who he has revealed himself to be, what we see, how he appears, better match up with who he actually is. Otherwise, you and I and everyone would be in a world of hurt. And that, of course, is Jesus. To make sure that, that Jesus doesn't just portray himself as one thing that doesn't align or match up with who he actually is. And the season of Epiphany is such a special one because it takes the time to reflect on all of the ways that Jesus appeared to us, revealed himself to us, so that we can know that he is who he actually claims to be. And as you heard in the Gospel this morning, who he reveals himself to be, how Jesus appears, is the Lamb of God. John made that that statement on back-to-back days, really, about Jesus when he was in the wilderness. In chapter 1, verse 29, The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's quite the power-packed phrase, isn't it? John was making a monumental statement at the time about who Jesus was. The Lamb. 
Now, as Christians, we're familiar with the, the imagery, the significance of what a lamb means in Christian theology. And yet, I don't know that we can really relate to what that would have meant for the people listening to John in that day. So to maybe take a similar image for us, think about how you feel and, and what you think when you see somebody else wearing a necklace with a cross on it or a t-shirt with a cross on it, or a bumper sticker. When you see that cross, a couple of feelings and things come to mind. First, you presume that must be a Christian. But that cross to you means everything. The cross is why you have a relationship with God because of the Savior crucified upon it. But back in John's day, if you had a cross necklace or a shirt with a cross on it, it would have meant nothing to them. But it would have been an entirely different story if you had a necklace with a lamb or a shirt with a lamb or a bumper sticker with a lamb because that meant everything to them. It was so ingrained in them throughout Old Testament history, even up to where our gospel takes place, that the lamb was how God's people had a relationship with him. It was such an essential part of the sacrificial system. And so they were recognizing, as John was pointing this to, to Jesus and calling him the lamb, he was making a profound statement. Jesus is the very lamb. And not just any lamb, but the lamb of God. Jesus was not just some charismatic cult leader looking to, to fleece followers into to paying attention to him and and just gaining bigger crowds. John was, was not his promoter. They hadn't worked out some agreement to say, hey, you tell them that I'm this guy and we'll work this together. That wasn't at all the case. John said, look, the Lamb of God. Today, believers have a, an expression, maybe you've heard others use it, when they're describing an experience that they had or an incident, something that happened to them that is beyond just random, beyond just coincidence, and believers will say, oh, it was such a God thing. Now, maybe that's not the best phrase because actually everything's a God thing. He's always working in our lives. It's not like he takes time off and then only incrementally in our lives is it a God thing. It's always a God thing. But you know what that believer means when they're pointing that out, that it was such a very specific answer to a prayer, or there's no logical explanation, and they're saying this was above and beyond the normal day-to-day -day life. This was not just routine. This was a God thing. John was saying of the Lamb, this is a God thing. This Lamb is of God. Quite literally, from God, from heaven, came here into this world to be the Lamb. And then we get to the phrase, that matters the most that, that John pointed out, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'd be curious to see if somebody could count all of the lambs from the time that God first initiated that sacrificial practice in the Old Testament with his people, morning and evening sacrifice that the priests would offer, and then on top of that, the other sacrifices that, that people would bring to the priests throughout the day. And then you think of the Passover meal, every lamb that was served up by every Jewish family from generation to generation. I have no idea how many lambs that would be, and yet you could take that whole vast quantity of all the lambs that have ever been sacrificed 
And even that couldn't pay for the smallest single sin. Because all those lambs did was served as a symbol. They foreshadowed what was to come. They pointed ahead to Jesus, the Lamb of God, the only one who takes away the sins of all people, of all time, all over the world. Did you notice what John did next? After he made this pure gospel proclamation that Jesus was the one who came to take away the sins of the world, John shared what that meant for him. He gave, we could say, his, his own testimony of who this Lamb of God was. Also recorded for us uh, in John chapter 1. Verse 32, Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. In addition to that proclamation, that pure gospel, that, that Jesus was the only one who would take away the sins of the world, John added his testimony. Now we have to pause there because anytime we're talking about giving a witness or a testimony, we need to remember the basics of Christian theology. At no point in history has anybody ever been brought to faith by somebody's testimony. In other words, no matter how compelling, no, no matter how emotional uh, that testimony might be, testimonies don't bring people to faith. Only the gospel does in word and sacrament. That's how God reveals that he works. We call that the means of grace. Only through my word and sacraments are people brought to faith, sustained and strengthened and kept in the faith. But that doesn't mean that we have to diminish the significance of somebody's testimony. And I think it's pretty impactful for John not just to say, look, objectively, there's Jesus, the Lamb of God, but I am testifying who he is, who I know him to be. I'm convinced that we are, are in a, a day and age where your testimony may carry more weight than it has for generations. Because I sense that we are, are leaving, we are kind of making our way out of, of this period of foolishness that we've called postmodernism, where everybody's truth is valid, regardless of what you believe. You can have a truth that contradicts my truth, and we can all be happy and go our way. And here's why. Because what we're seeing is the perceived happiness that was supposed to come along with that permissiveness hasn't really played out. The thought was, as long as I can do whatever I want, as long as I can be authentic to myself, as long as I can be true, pursue what my interests are and do what I want, and nobody keeps me from doing that, that is happiness. And we see that coming unstuck like a house held together with scotch tape because people are saying, it just has not been my experience. And you don't have to look very hard at the world around us to say, happiness is really what you would characterize our culture right now? I don't think so. And I don't remember the last time where a week has gone by that I haven't heard a story or a headline about somebody committing suicide. So we've bought into that lie that permissiveness equals personal happiness long enough 
But here's the thing, our culture is still very skeptical of organizations and authority. We are still seeking the truth and fact-checking, right? But we're not going to go to probably churches or other organizations to seek that truth because there's too much distrust. But you know who your connections are going to go to? You. They're going to ask you, what is the source of your happiness? What has worked for you? Because I thought for me it was this path, and that has not played out. So I'm listening. And your testimony, your witness about Jesus, the Lamb of God, may carry more weight than it ever has before. John's seemed to have an impact, didn't it? Notice what happened after he shared his testimony. Jump to verse 37. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And then what happened after that? Verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah that is the Christ. And then verse 42, not included in your text, and he brought him to Jesus. You notice the impact of that, that pure gospel proclamation that John had followed up by his testimony? It bore fruit. Some of the people listening, that gospel seed had sprouted and some believed that Jesus was their lamb. And then what did they do? The second thing, they went and told others about it. Do you know what you see here? You see God's design for how he would grow his church. Disciples, disciple. That means when you're brought to faith, a part of that process is to then, as we said in the children's sermon, go and, and add more links to that chain. The thing is that God did not just bring you to faith as a solo act, sorry to say, but not really sorry to say because that means that he wanted to use you to add more to those who would know the joy of salvation. That's what we're called to do. We're brought to faith as followers of Jesus, who then make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, and so on and so forth. Stop and think that through as you consider the words of John the Baptist. When you go all the way back to those words first expressed, there's an unbroken chain of disciples who made disciples who made disciples until you were added to it. And now God has called you to add more links to that chain. That is what being a disciple means. Too often we have a very shallow, very tunnel vision view of discipleship. And we think that discipleship, being a disciple, is just pertains to my relationship with God and that's it. It's a very personal thing. It's nobody else's business. And yet, we see right here that's not the case at all. We couldn't be further from the truth. You are missing out on a significant portion of what God has in mind to not only bless his disciples, you, but also to make disciples if you think your faith and your discipleship is only about you. God calls you as a disciple to see that a significant portion of being a disciple is making disciples. And if you refuse to see that, not only do you miss out on some of the blessings that God designs to carry out in your life as you disciple disciples, but others are not hearing 
about the Lamb of God who takes away their sin. Do you feel a little bit of, of guilt? Maybe just a tinge? Maybe you have had a very selfish view of your faith and discipleship. That maybe you haven't taken seriously the fact that this is not an optional part of being a follower of Jesus. That's okay. Because then we can put into practice what is an ongoing part of discipleship too. Which is to go back to square one to the words of John the Baptist and see Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And if he has taken away the sin of the world, and he has, then he has taken away your sin and your guilt and your selfishness and your indifference to the Great Commission and your plugged ears at his call to make disciples who make disciples. The Lamb of God came and paid for that and washed it all away. And not only is that important for us to to then remove that guilt and assure us of where we stand, but the fact is that's the only thing that is going to drive us and inspire and equip and encourage us then to do the very things that he calls us to do to make disciples. It's going back to that well of grace and forgiveness and knowing that it's limitless for me and for all people to then pour out that same grace and forgiveness to others in this process of making disciples. That's what we do. If you've ever hiked in a large group and found yourself somewhere in the middle of that pack, you realize how important it is for you to not lose sight of the person that you are following, especially if it's an unfamiliar territory or trail. Because if you lose sight of the person that you are following on that trail or that hike, you run the risk of going off the trail and getting lost in the wilderness. But if you're in the middle of the pack, it's not just you who might be lost, it's others as well. So dear friends, keep your eyes focused on Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And be as close to him as you can, for only in nearness to him do we have the drive and desire and the excitement and the zeal to be disciples who embrace the challenge and the call to make disciples. And as we do that, just as we saw in in this day of John the Baptist pointing to Jesus, God grows his church exponentially. Other disciples will follow. How do you want to appear to others? Now, there's certainly different hobbies and opinions and and images that we want to portray, and that's all well and good. There's nothing wrong with that necessarily. But I would hope as, as a Christian that a part of what you want to be known as is what you've been called to, being a disciple. And to be a disciple, dear friends, means making disciples. It means embracing that privilege that John had, to be able to point others to Jesus, their Lamb of God, who takes away not just the sin of the world, but who takes away their sin as well. And as we proclaim that gospel message and share our own personal experience with others, letting them know how impactful God's grace has been in our lives, God will bless our efforts by adding more links. 
to that chain. Amen.